I don't think we met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could have me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. Robbie Robbie weekly. Little reverse pass. Hello and welcome to Fridays, the 42 Rugby Weekly Podcast. It is another massive weekend of European action for the four provinces, particularly two of them, given what happened last weekend. Leinster and Connacht both in action this evening as we record on a Friday. And then Munster and Ulster over the course of the weekend looking to keep their European hopes alive. Joining us to discuss all four of their upcoming games is the 42's Gary Doyle. Gary, you're a man with a wealth of real-life experience and real-life responsibilities as well. Uh, is the big man due a visit to the Doyle household over Christmas? What's the mood in the camp like as we near the big day? <laughs> yes, um, the lists have been have been written and uh, longer than Sch- Schlinder's list. Um, obviously... Uh, neither, neither of neither of my kids are aware of uh, budgetary cons- constraints and rising fuel <laughs> prices and all the rest that has hit us in twenty twenty two, and the pressure is 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 on. It really is. The big man better deliver. Um, particularly, uh, big man has to find a retro Chelsea shirt from two thousand and three to two thousand five. Rest assured, my son supporting Chelsea has nought to do with me. I'm disgusted uh, by him for doing it, for choosing such a team. But um, the pressure's on. Uh, otherwise, the mood in the camp amongst the kids is great, and amongst mummy and daddy a little bit. <gasps> we better, we better sort this out in the next week or so. But great fun, great time of year. Oh. It's a great time of year to be a daddy. I will say that every week's a great. Every week being a daddy is a brilliant week, but this these weeks. That's wonderful to hear, I have to say. Still going to try my best to just not be one for a little while longer. But best of luck over the next few days sourcing that jersey. If any listeners have any tips, please email Gary and dig him out of this hole. Damn right, email me. I will be very, very grateful if, if you do, because uh, obviously I'm in touch with Mr. Claus up in Yeah, up in pass it on. Uh, listen, with Langston and Connacht on this evening, let's not dig too deeply into those games specifically. We can come back around to them on the members' pod on Monday with Birch and uh, look over what happens in both of them. Uh, but we do have a question to kick us off from Kalon Scully, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this, Gar. Uh, he was wondering, what does Gary make of the Gloucester team to face Leinster, and does it devalue the competition? On top of that, does Gary also miss the old Heineken Cup? Yeah, good, good questions from Kaelin. Um, what I make of the Gloucester team? Very little. Um, pissed off. You know, it's yes, it devalues the competition. It completely devalues the competition. Uh, I don't know what the answers are, uh, but uh, this is this is it's it's horseshit. It's simple as that. Uh, this is supposed to be your biggest club competition uh, in the world. Therefore, you pick your best team, and that's it. Um, they haven't done that. They've made 13 changes. My guess is they're going to get absolutely hammered. Um, 
and do I miss the old Heineken Cup completely? I used to think the format of the old Heineken Cup was the best in sport, of any sport. Uh, every match counted. It was it was so, so fascinating how, when it came to the December home and away games, how an away bonus point was just so valuable. And it meant you were watching every game uh, with a degree of intrigue in terms of right if they can get four if they can win their home matches which teams tended to do and pick up an away win and then on top of that an away bonus will that get them a home quarter final because we know the value of home advantage in the knockout stages they had hit upon the perfect formula and now they have this system and this structure whereby mediocrity is rewarded in the sense that you've got 24 teams that have entered uh, and 16 get through to the next phase so in other words only eight get eliminated whereas in the old system you had 24 teams and eight got through to the next phase therefore quality was rewarded now mediocrity is rewarded and yes i do miss it so are you more pissed off with Gloucester or with the format that has allowed Gloucester to field this team and still potentially thrive? Yeah, that's a good point, Gav. I suppose I'm, yeah, when, the way you phrase it, um, it's just pissed off that what should be a really good game won't be a good game. Um, so yeah, it's, it's the format. I, I, used to, I just used to really enjoy... December games in particular, uh, and then when when you got to the January games and you got to round six, not every you'd get a few dead rubbers in round six, but you'd also get just it was like an additional knockout game when you got there, and now it just seems like a bit of a phony war until you get to the round sixteen. To play devil's advocate a little bit, if you were George Skivington, what would you have done? Because I have to say, if I was in his shoes and if my livelihood was dependent on results over the course of a season Um, and if I in all reality knew that even sending over a full strength team to Leinster we were probably going to get boned and that it would make no material difference to the season beyond maybe exposing some younger players or fringe players to a level of intensity that they won't necessarily be accustomed to which may have a a net positive in the end I, I would probably do what Skivington is doing and that's probably why I asked you is it the you know the player or the game that we're hating here really because like from his point of view it makes sense doesn't it i guess uh there is some there are there is some value in what he's doing um he will learn about his inexperienced players uh he will build squad depth uh but it's pretty clear that when you make this decision uh you're valuing your domestic competition above Europe. So there it's a congested calendar, but there has to be a way where Europe is valued higher by everyone. And if that means giving them a week off after European games, before they play a premiership match, or before European games, so that they have that additional week to to rest and not be burned out then that's what you do but 
you know the competition is devalued and we can't pretend it isn't it it has been devalued mm. and has been devalued for a couple of years now and when you continue doing this then it's it becomes a vicious circle and uh pe- people will vote with their feet and will vote with their m- remote controls and that's going to happen eight changes for connacht in the challenge cup for their trip to breathe Bundyaki comes back in to start. First starts for Samilo and Dara Murray. Uh, just to give people a sense of where Breve are, if they haven't necessarily been following the top 14, uh, they're Paddy Feckin last. At the moment, they've been duck-egged in three of their games, I think, three of 13 games they failed to score in all competitions this season, including last week's 41-0 defeat to Cardiff. Uh, there are some familiar faces, of course, learning out with Breve, Daniel Brennan, son of Trevor, uh, three ex-Connick players as well, Sammy Arnold, Abraham Papali, and Tieti Tuamanga. Uh, again, maybe we don't have to dig too deeply into this game itself, Gary. Let's let it play out. We can come back to it on Monday. But I have a question here from Kieran Keating. Uh, about Connacht he was wondering with Andy Friend leaving is it time for Connacht to bring in an external coach to push the team to that next level and is there funding in place for this and if funds are available should be should they be used in this manner what do you think yeah they should um, your head coach is your most important employee in your in your setup and they have been blessed with two of their last three appointments Pat Lamb was clearly a huge success. Took him a while, actually, before he really clicked into gear, but we saw what happened in 2015-16. And that was an unforgettable year for everyone in Irish rugby, not just for for college fans. Andy Friend is one of the most underrated coaches in world rugby. I think he's done a superb job at college. The brand has uh, increased in value in terms of they are kind of everybody's second favourite team because they're so watchable Um, he's made the most of a limited budget and he's stretched it far I think the squad he has built uh, for this season is their strongest since he's been there and I think they're going to reach the URC playoffs and reach the Challenge Cup uh, knockout stages as well because of the depth in the squad and because their hardest fixtures in the URC are out of the way and their running is looking pretty pretty tasty. Um, so they have to replace a really good coach with another really good coach. I don't know who that person is. Um, but in first to New Sephora, who gets plenty of stick and you know, he isn't necessarily somebody that I would want to go for a pint with. Uh, he makes good appointments by and large. Not everything, not every roll of the dice has come up, come up for him. But he has made some really shrewd appointments. Andy Farrell was a really good appointment, uh, and that was Nusa Fora's call. Andy Friend was a good appointment as well. So he does have a good contacts book, uh, and it's almost worth putting up with all the flaws of Nusa Fora. Um, if he's able to come up with a good replacement and help Connacht and advise Connacht uh, and Willie Rowan in particular to uh, to go down a certain route. Um, so yes, if the funds aren't available, they are if you've got to make them available. Uh, I think the funds will be available and I think they go, should go external and I hope they get uh, somebody as good as the guy that's leading. Mm, here's hoping. 
uh, Ulster will need to bounce back on Saturday and they need to do it against the European champions, hopefully at Ravenhill. But uh, here are some of former Ireland and Melbourne Rebels performance analyst Owen Tulin's thoughts on the Northern Provinces' current predicament from Wednesday's members pod. And it's members.the42.e if you want to sign up and get these every Wednesday and every Monday. Birch sort of flagged it more so on their defence, even though they didn't score against Sale. And, you know, I think most people would accept that their attack has actually been... I mean, it's been really good for the most part and chances are it's going to click again, right? But to concede 39 points, regardless of the travel situation, um, uh, Birch sort of mentioned lads not really getting off the floor as quickly as they used to and maybe not quite having the grit that we saw of Ulster last season and even in seasons gone by. They got to a, a Pro 14 final two seasons ago, obviously. Uh, have you noticed similar this season in them? I'm interested in your interpretation of that. And like, are we talking about just teething problems between the absolutely excellent and highly regarded Jared Payne moving off and Johnny Bell, you know, also really highly regarded, but just that transition between two defensive coaches maybe asking two different things of you? Potentially a little bit of a transition there. I think definitely in around defence, it's so attitudinal, isn't it? And and. Ulster just lost the physical battle both sides of the ball. I think sales carry dominance was at about 60%. And particularly if you're soaking tackles, finishing um, at the bottom of contacts, then it's it's difficult to proactively pop off the deck. Um, and it is a simple game at the end of the day. If you're losing collisions, any defensive system starts to look particularly vulnerable. I think Ulster definitely tried to apply pressure to the breakdown. It was noticeable in the first 10 minutes they were putting two into the tackle, really putting an emphasis on, on slowing sales possession down because they do play with quite a, a deal of uh, expansiveness, um, particularly on those second man plays. So yeah, I think it was probably losing the collisions plus putting two into the into the breakdown probably uh, robbed them of a little bit of spacing, lacked any aggression off the line and really from a sale perspective when they had possession it was a little bit of a, a training run and, and as the as the game wore on um the shark sale sharks just looked better and better but i think probably the other area which you could be critical of of a defense coach is their set piece defense i thought um i think three tries came from from first phase obviously first try was an excellently executed um 11 pattern off a line out just a little return play uh, identify a kind of little seam in Ulster's defence and take advantage of it. But the, their scrum defence, particularly the 9-10 and the McCluskey-Moore axis, was just seemed everyone running completely different systems. There's there's two right-hand scrum plays almost consecutively and say I run a very simple um, 10 to the line, 12 short and blindside uh, winger slides laid in behind. First time, uh, Ulster's 9 goes goes hard at um sales 10 um, but burns doesn't push off mccluskey has to jam in because burns hasn't pushed off but but more is not connected to mccluskey at all massive space to go through run the same play a little bit later now this time nine uh, ulster nine puts defensive pressure on sales nine which is a completely different system um 10 goes hard at 10 
McCluskey comes on the on is a little bit more hesitant because of the same play that that exposed them out the back. He sits off a little bit and they go front door to twelve, uh, right through the gap for for a try. So I would say definitely there's uncertainty and probably lacking of of clarity a little bit around roles and responsibilities off off set piece defense to to concede three three structured um, tries off first phase will definitely have um, disappointed Bell. Can you garner sufficient clarity between a 39-0 away defeat and the visit of the European champions to your backyard in the space of less than a week? Yeah, I think you'll definitely have a bounce, won't you? I think that was a, a bit of a humiliation. Um, I know there's uncertainty around whether the game can go ahead in Ravenhill given current weather conditions, but that is a massive fortress for Ulster, uh, particularly on European nights. So... They would be really hopeful that they're they're able to take um, Lavershell to to Ravenhill and and deliver a far more ferocious performance than what what they got uh, last weekend. Um, and I think they can like some of those fixes are just are simple clarity things uh, in around set piece D. Uh, and then I said, as I said, I think a lot of it was attitudinal, probably maybe feeling a little bit sorry for themselves off the back of the the Lancer loss. And I think it'll be a a feisty training week up in Belfast and, and you'd, you'd really hope you're going to get a reaction. Do they have the quality to to take down current European champions? They got off to a pretty impressive start as well. So it'll, it'll be a tough battle for them and obviously their the European ambitions hinge off the back of it. So it's really, a, it's middle of December and it's become a, a season-defining game for Ulster. That was the voice of Owen Tulin chatting about Ulster. Gary, you mentioned this time last week with Murray that you'd lost trust in Ulster's ability to seal the deal against the very top sides, maybe get over the line and win a trophy. Uh, you branded them pretenders rather than contenders. It was a sensational listen, actually, if people want to go back to it. But I ask you this, uh, were they just pretending to be shit last week? What's going on? It was awful, wasn't it? Um, I don't know what's going on. My guess is... The nature of their defeat to Leinster was harrowing and because they had such a big game so soon after the Leinster defeat that they were psychologically wounded and just weren't able to recover in time and now they've had a double whammy of uh, psychological wounds. And this is crossroads time for, for Ulster here because if they... If they lose at home in the Champions Cup, then there there isn't much wriggle room uh, for them to to get two results because it means they have to go to La Rochelle and win. And if they're unable to beat La Rochelle in Belfast, it's hard to see how they're going to beat them on the west coast of France. And we remember the last time they went there, I think it was 2017-18, uh, but they were, they were well beaten anyway. Um, sorry, it was 2018-19. Um, they have they have a really good squad they are really consistent in the URC they win most of their matches in the URC but they are capable of the odd horror show and we saw that in the second half against Leinster we saw it for all 80 minutes against Sale we saw it last year when they played Connett and we've seen it numerous times down the stretch in big games when they've had winning situations and winning scenarios and we're thinking of the Leicester game in the Challenge Cup semi-final we're thinking of Toulouse away last year when Toulouse were down to 14 players and Ulster had a 13 point lead should have built on it ended up uh, seeing it narrow and ended up losing it 
losing that round of 16 tie in aggregate by a point. Have they done anything the last seven days to regain my trust? The answer is no. Mm. I have to say, Colm in the members WhatsApp group has gone full Grinch mode. Uh, he says, no doubting he has had a huge impact on the Ulster squad, bringing them from being basket cases to a place where we are amazed when they throw in a performance like last Sunday's. But is time running out for Dan McFarland? They're signing big-name players, but should they look to install a big-name head coach to build the foundations Dan created? Knives out, Gar. Yeah, um... My answer to that at this stage is Dan McFarland has done enough to deserve to merit a lot more time than, say, this weekend's match. Um, they were a basket case when he took them over. They, I remember being at the match when they had to beat uh, Ospreys to, to get back into the Champions Cup for the following season. And they had... They have been consistent since then. Uh, they're always in the playoffs. You know, they they always do reasonably well in Europe. But it's a case of moving to the top level and the next level. And they just haven't shown the evidence that they're able to do that. So I think it's premature to say that time is running out on McFarland. Um, in terms of installing a big name head coach, Again, I have my I have severe doubts. It's only it's only okay to have a big name head coach if that big name is still hungry. But if the hunger is gone, then the answer is no. Now it's a different sport, but the Republic of Ireland Irish team love to give laps of honours to guys who were well past their best, like Martin O'Neill and Giovanni Trapattoni and Mick McCarthy the second time. Uh, when they came in and they weren't as good as they were at their peak um, so big name head coach unless that big name wants to show that they are capable of improving and getting better I wouldn't go near a big name for that reason um, you've got to give McFarland more time he's done enough to to merit you know retaining our respect Um you know, it was a terrible result last weekend, but you don't you don't lose your job on the back of one result or two results. Yeah, it has to be bad months as opposed to bad weeks for a for a coach to lose his job, and I don't think we're there with McFarland. Monster away to the Saints on Sunday, who are going pretty well, reasonably well, particularly at home. Uh, here were Bernard Jackman's thoughts on Monster's performance against Toulouse on Monday's members' pod. Let's move on to Monster then. And you mentioned at the top of the show that it was a performance from which Monster can actually take a lot going into uh, Northampton this weekend and probably for the rest of the season. I guess results-wise, it's not a continuation of the recent progress that they've been making. What was it about the performance that actually tickled your fancy? Because uh, I felt like just looking at some of the reaction afterwards, it was almost a divisive one where some people agreed with you and others were like, nah, Monster have been saying this for 10 years now. And like, um, it just, it's a bit cliche almost to say that they're making progress when in reality, they couldn't really put a dent into lose second half. And they lost a home game, which has uh, historically been extremely rare in Europe. Yeah, look, I understand that people would be disappointed. But um, if you look at 
the attacking variety that they um that they showed um in 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 the first half so they basically they mixed it up really well um between you know using their big carriers like Hodnett or, or Coombs off of strike plays um to playing to wit and and you know putting grubber kicks through and 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 you know putting pressure on in the backfield you know really making um playing that traditional monster game which is is pressure you know and getting the crowd involved um you know, they didn't have the power at mall time to, to like the the Carby try came from a mall that didn't go forward, you know, it didn't go forward, but it was it was actually there was a coherent plan. I mean, Casey Casey used, I think it was um it was a daily off his you know off his hip to get him go forward and then, you know, then they obviously opened up the, the blind side and, and Joey exploited that. So um there was lots of endeavor, there was good lines of running, but in fairness to Toulouse, they came in and and, and made good reads defensively and shut it down. Um, which against Edinburgh, you know, or um, and against was it Connacht the week before, you know, they they were getting line breaks or, or getting soft shoulders. So I think the challenge for Munster now, and like Leinster got shut down at certain times against the Racing, um, but they had, I suppose, the the confidence and the cohesion <clears throat> just to keep playing, you know, to to play another phase, play another phase. Whereas Munster, I felt once they got a big hit. They were kind of lost their momentum a little bit, and and some of the breakdown detail wasn't as good as it needed to be. And you know, obviously, Toulouse got got some key turnovers, but they'll be able to fix that, and and that's something that will will come. Um, and also, let's be honest, like they didn't they didn't go into the shell. They tried to play, and 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 um, so it's not going. It's far different. Like under Larkham, I would have given Larkham massive credit and Munster massive credit, and ma- massive time if you could see what they're trying to do on a consistent basis. Um, but let's be honest, there wasn't, there was no real obvious progression there. I can think there is progression. And and Frisch didn't have his best game, you know, he, you know, in terms of being a playmaker, he carried well. Um, but that's, that's understandable too, that that happens, you know what I mean? When you be, and when you become someone that the opposition see as being a go-to player, um, you're going to have to be able to adapt to to being red like that, and and you know having uh, two men come in and take your time and space. But he will because he, he he's a good footballer. I actually thought he looked really dangerous with Crowley on a twelve. Um, and I and I don't want to I don't want to be saying like making out that Crowley can save every, can save everybody and uh, put too much pressure on him. But certainly for me, their best attacking blocks multi-phase were when he was on with Joey. Um and and that's look at the, he's just he just looks so comfortable on the ball. I mean, of course, it's easier near the end. You know, when fellas are tired, it's maybe a little bit less line speed, but he has that passing range plus footwork. I think to to open up opportunities for others, and I'm sure that's something because Joey's playing. Joey's playing fine. Joey's playing well. Um, so I don't think it's Joey or 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 or, or Jack at the moment. Um. But I'm sure this weekend, you know, Roundtree and Prendergast will be looking at, you know, how they can get their best players on the field. Um, and I thought he, again, as he does all the time, but in the minutes he got, he left a little impre- little impression that you want to see more of him. Yeah. And look, you've worked with Mike Prendergast in the past. I'm asking you to almost get in his head, but like, would you see that as actually a viable option for the season or for the remainder of it for uh, Crowley to be given opportunities at 12 or is it always going to be a more of a makeshift thing no I, no, I think it could it could to be honest I, I, um, I actually haven't asked Prendy about this but 
Connor McPhillips, the Bristol coach, thinks that uh, Frisch is a twelve, right? And and um, that maybe Fekitoa, if they get him back to Fekitoa, if they get him back to his best, becomes a strike runner thirteen. But for the meantime, I'm sure they're going to look at that. They're they're, they're going to look at at getting um, Crowley in the team. That was Birch on Munster. Gary, your thoughts. Do you fancy Munster to get the job done this Sunday? I'm not as convinced as everybody else is, Ben. There's one thing I'll say about this season with Munster. The ability, they have convinced the media and every pundit in the world that their training practices are just sensational. And, you know... That's great. It's great that you can do it on the training field, but let's do it on the pitch. You know, like they did a fantastic win over South Africa, but they were not fantastic last week against Toulouse. Um, we keep hearing references to how bad it used to be, or, you know, the implication that it used to be really bad under Van Graan. I'm not Van Graan's publicist, right? But the guy's out of there six months, you know. There's a new regime in place now. Let's start seeing results on the pitch. And okay, it's great we're getting results on the training pitch. Fantastic. But that's your job. It's your job to get good results on the training pitch. And it's also your job to get good results on the pitch. And everybody is buying in to the new regime and how wonderful they are. And they deserve time. They deserve this season. I'd even give them next season. But, you know... Let's see a bit more evidence in ter- on the results column. On that incredibly fiery note, we sign off for the podcast until Monday for members, but for Gary, forever. It's your last day, which you only sprung upon me before we started recording. I did know you were leaving the 42, but... Uh, I'm glad you finished the sentence there, because the way you started the sentence, I thought it was about to die before <laughs> midnight. So thanks for, thanks for giving me a stay of execution. <laughs> well, I just want to thank you for all of your contributions to the pod over the last couple of years. It's been amazing having you on every time. It's proven extremely popular with our listeners as well, many of whom took your book recommendations on board last week. Um, I'm doing this on the record because it genuinely is new information to me that today you're finishing up. Uh, and I just want to say it's been an absolute pleasure working with you. We'll cross paths many more times in the future, I'm sure and the very best of luck with everything particularly in the lead up to Christmas Day Gav it's been three super super years and looking forward to Christmas and very very sad to be going it's been a great team to be a part of top man bye everyone we'll chat to you on Monday for members till then have a great weekend enjoy all the rugby take it easy I don't think we've met before but I'm the referee on this field Leinster could have me five mil a year I wouldn't go <laughs> Robbie Robbie weekly. Then the first pass. And